Hey, I want to welcome you here tonight to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us. Uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're going through the, the book uh, of Ephesians, and that's what we call it. It's not really a book. It was really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He was in a prison, and he wrote this letter to a group of Christians that were living in a town called Ephesus. Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote it, and he would have, uh, you know, pinned the thing, I don't know, you know, licked a stamp, I don't know, whatever. And however they would have delivered mail back in those days, uh, that was real snail mail, that would have been delivered to this group of Christians who were a part of a church, just like those of you that call Big Valley Grace. It was delivered to a church. Obviously, the church didn't look like this. You know, it wasn't a big building like this and all that kind of stuff. But that letter would have been delivered to the pastor. I'm sure he opened it up at his favorite coffee shop, you know, and sat down and read it. And I'm sure it just blew his mind. I'm sure it was a real blessing to him. And at some moment, Sunday would have rolled around and that pastor would have showed up at the church and said, hey, got a letter from Paul. And I'm sure everybody would have been excited about it and he probably just read the letter to everybody that morning in church. Probably you know, said, hey, why don't we take this letter and over the next uh, four or five uh, weeks or, you know, next four or five months, why don't we just go through it a little piece at a time and just make sure we really kind of grasp all that Paul was trying to say. And, and basically, here it is 2,000 years later, and that's what we're doing. We're simply looking at this letter that Paul wrote to Christians 2,000 years ago. And we want to see it in its context, but we also want to know how does it apply to us today? And so if you're uh, visiting with us, we're, we're, we're glad you're, you're here. Let me kind of get everybody on the same page. I broke the letter down into three major parts. The first part is uh, what I call the, the wealth of the believer. The second part, a major part, is what I call the walk of the believer, and that's where we're at uh, tonight. And um, the third part is what I call the warfare of the believer, and we'll get there in a couple of weeks, Lord, Lord willing. So in the first major section, chapters one through three, Paul tells us about all these great things that God has done for you. If you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, if you've recognized that your sin separated you from the Father, if you recognize the fact there wasn't anything you could do to make your relationship with the Father better, if you recognized all that, you recognize that God loved you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, be buried for you, walk out of a grave for you, is now seated at the right hand of God for you, you recognized all that, and you invited Christ into your life, a whole lot of stuff happened at, at that very moment, and Paul unpacks a little bit of that in those first three chapters of this letter. He tells us that God chose us, that God redeemed us, that God forgave us, that God made us a, an heir of his. God gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us forever. God gave us his power to help us navigate life. God gave us direct access to himself. And the list goes on and on and on, and all these things, as I said, I've just called the, the wealth of the believer. Then when you get to chapters four and five, the tone of the letter changes. So the first three chapters, Paul just lays out all these cool things that are ours, if you know Christ as your savior. Just all these unbelievable blessings. You get to chapter four and everything kind of shifts. And now what Paul does, he's gonna say, hey look, in, in light of all these great things that God has done for you, here's how you ought to live. Here's, a, here's how you ought to walk. I mean, God's done all this stuff for you. And, and, and those first three chapters doesn't even, you know, come close to covering it all. But it's an unbelievable list. And Paul says, because of those things, here's how you, you ought to live. Paul tells us that we should live a God-honoring life, a life worthy of our calling. He tells us that we should live in a way that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit that we have inside of us. Now here's the deal. You, you can't lose your salvation. If you truly know Christ as your savior, if you're truly in, in the, the hand of the Lord, there isn't anything that's gonna, you know, that can kind of snatch you out of his hand. But you can certainly live in a way that grieves the Holy Spirit within you. And we as, th th those of us that are parents, we get it, right? Y you know, I love my kids. They're a part of my family. There isn't anything they can do to, you know, you know, 
somehow not have me love them, but can they grieve me? <laughs> hey, mom, dad, your kids ever grieve you? Yeah, absolutely they do, right? Now, you don't boot them out of your family because they grieve you, but you can live your life in such a way, Christian, that you grieve God. You grieve the Holy Spirit that is within you. He tells us that we should live as people of the light, Paul said, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. And then he just says, so, so live as people of the light. Isn't that just a great phrase? Paul just says, look, man, God's done all these unbelievable things for you. So, so here's the deal. Live as people of the light. So this kind of gets everybody uh, uh, caught up. Now, before I read our, our text for uh, tonight, I want to do a little setup, okay? King David, the greatest king of Israel, said this in Psalms 139. He said, you, and that's God, saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Okay, now King David's son Solomon, the wisest man that really has ever lived, he said this. He says, None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. In other words, you don't have to open up your day timer and say, You know, here's the day I'm going to die. You'll keep that appointment. <laughs> There isn't anything you're gonna do that'll cause you to miss that one. Solomon knew that, he got it. James, uh, our brother, said this in James chapter four. He said, now listen, you who say, hey, tomorrow or today, you know, we're gonna go to this city or that city. We're gonna spend a year there. We're gonna carry on business and make, we're gonna make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. In other words, you know what? You're making all these grandiose plans about tomorrow. All the great things you're gonna do. And we all know people like that, don't we? They're always talking about tomorrow. And the Bible says you don't even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You have no clue what's gonna happen tomorrow. In fact, your life is like a vapor. It's gone. And some of us have experienced that. Some of us have gone through life experiences where one moment everything was hunky-dory and then the next moment a life just ended. You thought you were going to get it tomorrow. And that vapor just disappeared, just gone. Beloved, all three of these men, King David, his son Solomon, and James, understood something very important about life. They knew that their time here on planet Earth was limited. They knew that at some moment, their life was going to end. They were very cognitive of the fact that it wasn't going to last forever. The older I get, you know, when I was young... You know, somebody would have stepped up, and I didn't know the Lord when I was young, but somebody would have got up here and talked about death. I'd have just mocked him in my mind. Loser. Well, look at you. You're, you're worried. You should worry about death. Look at you. Your body's falling apart. You got your gray hair. You got hair coming out of your ears, man. Come on. You ought to think about death. For crying out loud, you're going to die any day. Look at you. Up there wheezing. Let <laughs> me tell you. I've been here at Big Valley Grace for 30 years. I can't even count how many funerals I've done of children, teenagers, who thought that way too. I get it. And it's probably true, the older you get, you, you, you kind of start to think more about it, death. Because you know it's coming. N no joke. You know, you know what I never miss reading anymore? The obituary section of the paper. I've, I've become that loser that I used to mock. I used to think as a kid, why do they put that in the paper? 
Who cares? And now first thing, oh man, oh dude, knew that guy, went to school with that guy. Wow, really? These three guys understood something really important. They knew that uh, life kind of had a, a start and an ending point, and you don't know when the ending point is most of the time. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's in prison at the time. He knows the, the talk uh, on the street. He know, he's heard the prison guards talking. I'm sure there were probably some prison guards that were even talking to him. He, he knew he wasn't getting out of this gig. He says, the time of my death is near. And it wasn't long after this that, you know, we think he was taken out and beheaded. Not because he was a murderer, not because, you know, he stole something, not because, you know, he, he was some sort of loser, or rapist, or something like that. He was killed, he was beheaded simply because he was a follower of Christ. Now, you know what's interesting is I could have said that 10 years ago, and wow, it would have been like, whoa, that's, that's weird. Today, it's happening right now. Now, we're safe here in this building here in Modesto, California, at least for now. But there are literally people right now on the globe right now who are being beheaded simply because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Not because they're evil or wicked or stealing stuff or raping and pillaging things and people. Simply because they name the name of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and says, I fought the good fight. I, I finished the race and I've remained faithful. Now when you look at, um, at what Paul said here, there are two things that he knew. Number one, Paul knew that his time on planet Earth was up. He knew that his life was coming to an end, sort of like David and, and Solomon and, and James. He, he knew that, you know, he was pretty sure, hey, you know, in some moment they're going to take me out of this jail and just cut my head off, and that, that's the way this is going to end. And number two, Paul knew that he had done his best to live a life that, that brought honor and glory to God. He did his best to make sure that he lived as a person of the light. He did his best to, to live his life in a way that, that didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, he was a man, so he, you know, he didn't do it perfectly. Okay? None of us in this room who name the name of Christ do it perfectly. And those of you that are visiting with us today, and maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you're thinking, man, you guys are all hypocrites. Well, you know, on some plane, we kind of are. None of us in this room are perfect. None of us. That, that's the point. We get it. I understand I'm not perfect, and I understand that heaven is a perfect place, and so God can't allow me, an imperfect person, to go to heaven. Because if he allows an imperfect person to go to heaven, like me, and then he allows you, an imperfect person, to go to heaven, then it won't be long before heaven's just like earth. Screwed up! <laughs> you see, just because you're a believer, just because you're a follower of Christ, just because you come to a church doesn't mean you're perfect. We're quite aware of the fact here at Big Valley Grace that none of us are perfect. We can't be perfect. It's impossible for us to be perfect. That's why we needed a savior. But now that we have the power of God within us, we now have the ability, we now have the power, if you will, to live a God-honoring life. We now have the power to live a different kind of life. We're not gonna do it perfectly. Paul didn't do it perfectly, but obviously when you read 2 Timothy chapter four, he says, man, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. I, I've kind of pulled it off. I've been salt and light. I, I've been, you know, uh, I haven't grieved the Holy Spirit within me. And I think that's what we all want, those of us that are Christians, I think. If you as a follower of Christ don't want that in your life, then you need to investigate your life and go, man, maybe I really aren't a Christian. If really living a God-honoring life or living uh, uh, you know, in a way that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, if that really doesn't you know, register on my radar screen, then maybe I ought to just 
look at your life. I think everybody who truly knows Christ as your Savior, everybody who truly understands their, their, their sinfulness, their, their wickedness, their, you know, their plight, if you will, that they can't save themselves, that they're just goofed up, messed up because of their sin, and they understand what Jesus Christ did for them, if there isn't some sort of tug that says, hey, I want to live as a person of the light, I want to live a God-honoring life, I don't want to grieve God's spirit, man, if there isn't you know, something rattling around in your heart that, that kind of pulls you towards that, you know, you're not gonna stand before me. I but I, I, I just gotta believe that God inside of you would, would put that on you, don't you think? See, I think we all want to be like Paul. We all want to say, man, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've, I've remained faithful. But here's the deal. Paul also knew that it wasn't going to be easy to pull off. And this is where I'm going. Paul knew that living a God-honoring life wouldn't be easy. <laughs> Paul knew that living as a person of the light wasn't going to be an easy gig. Paul knew that it was going to be a hard go to live a life that didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. He, he got it. He knew that. Which brings us to my text for today. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or it'll be in your notes or it'll be on the jumbotrons. We want to make sure you see God's word. I don't care whether it's in a Bible or your notes or whatever. Paul says this. Pretty good stuff here. Christian, be careful how you live. Right, right there's probably 10 sermons. <laughs> Christian, be careful how you live. Be careful. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity, Christian, in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. <laughs> Don't be drunk with wine, because that'll ruin your life. And some of you in this room can go, amen, it ruined my life, it ruined my family, I lost my business, I lost it all. This was written 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Still good advice today, whether you believe in God or not. Instead, instead of getting drunk, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all we're gonna read, okay? Verse 15, so be careful how you live. Um... You know, you could, you could kind of tweak that a little bit. I thought about this uh, t today. God, I think, as I was reading it, just kind of, I went somewhere. You know. be, be careful how you live. Be careful how you, you speak to your spouse. That'd be, that'd be, that's the same thing, right? Just a practical. Be, be careful how you speak to your husband. Be careful how you speak to your wife. Be careful how you speak to your children. Be careful how you speak to your parents. Be careful how you, you speak to, you know, uh, the, 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 the person who messed up your order at Taco Bell. <laughs> Be careful how you live. Be careful. But Paul knew his, his he, he knew, he knew his life was coming to an end. And he knew it wasn't going to be easy to live a God-honoring life. And so he said, hey, look, here's the deal, Christian. Be very careful. You've you, you got to be careful. 
The only way you'll ever live a life that honors God or live a life that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit or, or the only way you'll ever you know, end your life well is you gotta be careful how you live, right? Some of you haven't been careful how you live. And there's an ugly chapter of your Christian life. I got a couple. Just because you put a, you know, a title in front of my name, just because you call me Pastor Rick Countryman doesn't mean I don't have some bad chapters. <laughs> there have been some moments I haven't been very careful. Now, I haven't done anything that's, you know, you know, caused me to be disqualified from standing here, but trust me. The only way we're going to make it, the only way we're going to get to the end to be able to say something like, Paul, man, I fought the good fight, man. I finished the course. I, I've kept the faith, man. I nailed this thing. Is you're going to have to be careful about how you live. Got to be careful. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. The Bible says this in Proverbs 14. It's one of my favorite passages. I talk about it all the time. The Bible says that there's a path before each person that seems right. Seems right, right? It's logical. Seems good. Hey, this is okay. What's the problem? What's the big deal? Everybody's doing it, right? But it ends in death. In other words, it's really not that, not that good of a path. It seems right, and your flesh may be tempted to go you know, down that path or choose that path or make that decision, but if you make that decision, though it seems right, it seems logical, you know, you're, whoo, it brings a lot of pleasure, whatever that might be, you know. Whoo, it ends bad. Be, be careful how you live, you see. You gotta be careful. You have to be, you have to be careful. The Bible says this in Psalms 119, keep me from deceitful ways. <laughs> there are deceitful ways out there. You gotta be careful how you live, man. There are deceitful people out there, right? Hey ladies, you know there are some guys out there who'll say anything they gotta say. Praise Jesus. They'll even go to church with you. They'll, they'll show you their Bibles. They'll tell you about how much they love Jesus. They're deceitful. They got one thing on their mind. And however, they gotta, you know, whatever they gotta do, they're willing to do it. I've done this a long time here, ladies. If I had a dollar for every gal who came to me and said, man, this guy quoted scripture and had his Bible, you know, and brought me to church. Threw something in the offering basket, I guarantee there wasn't anything in it. <laughs> Look good though. Love you. <laughs> By the way, it can work both ways. Paul says, be careful how you live. There are deceitful ways, deceitful things. That's the world you live in, Christian. You live in this deceitful world. I think sometimes we just wake up and we eat our post-toasties and we run out the door and we don't even realize just how goofed up the world is and how many people are out there trying to take advantage of us and steal from us and do all kinds of crummy things to us or our families or whatever. And we don't ever think about this whole idea of, hey, maybe I ought to be a little bit more careful about how I live. I live in the kind of world where I tell my, my, my kids, and my daughter's over here and she's older, but I still tell it to her, look, when dad's gone and mom's gone, here's the deal. You do not open up that front door for anybody unless the guy's got a badge in his hand, and even then you might have to be a little bit careful. It's not like when I was a kid. I could stay out till midnight, running around, going to parks. It was, you know, today, listen kids, Someone knocks on that door, hey, this is UPS, don't open the door. Hey, this is, don't open the door. You don't open that door for anybody. Nobody, not a soul. 
unless it's a police officer. Now some of you are going, man, you're kind of paranoid. I just choose to live carefully. That's what I, that's what I choose to do. I'm very careful about my life. I'm very careful about my family. I'm very careful about the things, the decisions, where I'm going. I know there's deceitful things out there, deceitful ways. I understand that there's things out there that seem right, you know, and the whole world's talking about them. I mean, I mean, man, don't you know that the polls say that 89% of the people think that this is okay? It's, it's gotta be okay, right? No. Maybe it's not okay. Sometimes the majority is wrong. I don't care, I don't care what our country's doing, man. Stop and ask the ethical question, man. It, should we be doing that? I realize we're doing it. I realize that it's okay. I realize that it's legal. But should it be? People don't like it when you ask that question, the ethical question. The Bible says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's a piece of data that God is giving to us. Well, you know, I just follow my heart. Oh, man, bad news. Don't do that. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. You don't even know how bad it is and how wicked it is. That's why God gave us this. It's the truth that sets us free. Not, well, this is what my heart Hey, look, I, I get things in my heart. Oh, I feel this in my heart. But I always stop and go, wait a minute. Hold on. Was that the linguine I ate last night? <laughs> or, or is it God's word? Can I back that up with, with God's word? And if I can't back it up with God's word, then you know what? I'll just keep it to myself. You gotta be careful how you live. There are ways that seem right, there are paths that are destructive. Your heart is evil and wicked. Whew. That's good advice that Paul's given us tonight. It's good advice that Paul's given to you, uh, uh, you know, husbands and wives and parents. It's good wisdom that Paul's given to you that own a business or whatever. You, you, gotta, you gotta live carefully, you gotta walk carefully. You see, the world has a plan for your life, the devil's got a plan for your life, your friends have a plan for your life, your boyfriend or your girlfriend has a plan for your life, you've got a plan for your life. Hey man, I got a plan for your life, right? Been around this place long enough, I'll tell you what plan you ought to have. And with all these voices yelling at you, it makes it really easy to miss the most important voice. And that's not the voice in your heart It's the voice of the Lord. It's hard to, you're hearing all these voices and all these things and man, you go to this seminar, oh, and you get all excited and you go here, oh, and you get all excited and, and there's all these, well, I met a new boy. He's cute. Okay, is there any, he's cute, what else? Well, I don't know, he's just hot, that's all I know. I go, whoa. You know, there's got to be more than that. It, it, no, no, right, just hot. It's just hot. And I'm making a whole decision on, you know, my life, you know, the future of my existence, you know. Look, the voice that you need to hear is the voice of Jesus Christ. 
There's all kinds of voices out there, even, even your own voice. Listen, your heart's deceitfully wicked, people. It's so important that you really understand the voice of Jesus Christ. That's the voice that you care about. It's his thoughts for your life. It's his will for your life that matters. Paul said this in verse 17. He said, don't act thoughtlessly. And I want you to know something. Remember, he's writing to believers here. Believers can be some of the most thoughtless people. They, 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 just, they just don't get it. Paul says, look, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, one version or a lot of versions say, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Th that's what matters, is hearing that voice, understanding that voice, falling in love with that voice, following that voice, following the, following the heart of that man, not your heart. <laughs> the scriptures are crystal clear. Your, your heart's just goofed up. Someday we're gonna get new ones. Beloved, for those of us that name the name of Jesus, um, th this is understanding what God wants us to do or understanding what God's will is f for our lives. That's the voice that we want to really grab a hold of. That's the top priority. Romans chapter 12 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, as I said earlier, it's the truth that sets you free. It's not how you feel. Jesus didn't say, I've come to make you feel better. You may feel better because you're a believer. I'm not sure Paul felt real great when his head was being put down on that rock and it was gonna be chopped off. I'm not sure that was a great feeling. I often feel wonderful as I walk with my Lord and Savior. Much of my life, I, I do, I, I have some wonderful feelings. But as I often tell you, you know what? You can't educate your feelings. Your feelings don't have any IQ. In fact, your feelings, for the most part, are pretty much irrational. And that's why you always have to go to the truth. And it's the truth that sets you free, you see. Uh, people think, well, I get this all the time. Well, he didn't care about feelings. Are you kidding me? You haven't hung around me if you think I don't care about feelings. I, nobody cries more than me. I, I'm, sensitive. I, I'm, I'm a sensitive guy. <laughs> I am. I just make sure I don't base my life on my feelings. I just make sure I don't make decisions on how I feel. Because I understand what the scripture says, that there are things that seem right, there are deceitful ways, my heart is goofed up. And so you know what? Thank you, Lord, for this, the plumb line. Thank you, Lord. You just didn't leave me dangling in the wind. You know, I, I, I have something I can go to. Now, he goes on and says, then, when you have your mind transformed by how you think, then you will learn to know what God's will is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And what I wanna do is I, I wanna give you one general uh, overarching statement about the will of God, okay? I think you can write this down, and that is this. God's will for your life is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Okay, write that down somewhere on your sheets of paper. I guess it's not in the notes. I want you to write that down, okay? It's, it's the major thought that God's will for your life is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's will for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. And if I were to flip that around, I could say this. Look, 
I know that God's will for your life is absolutely perfect. It's tailor-made for just you. The God of the universe who created Gerber daisies and porcupines and, and beetles and, and hawks and, and, and worms and all the things that God has created. He has created a, a, a will, a purpose for your life that is absolutely perfect. Some of you are going, man, I, I could never get up and do what you're doing. You're right, because you're not supposed to. It's not God's will for your life to do this. But he has a will for your life that's different than mine. All I know is that the word of God says that God's will is absolutely perfect. The second thing I know is this. Not only is it perfect, but it's pleasing. Um... It, it, it brings a sense of joy to your life. The, the, there's something about walking with the Lord, doing his will, that perfect thing that is very pleasing. And not only that, when it's all said and done, you'll look back on your life and go, you know what, it's good. It was good. It doesn't say that it's easy. <laughs> Wish it did. Because that'd make this message so much easier. You see, God's will is perfect. It's tailor-made for you. It's pleasing. When you're doing it, I want you to know something. There's an incredible amount of joy. And when it's all said and done, you'll look back on your life and go, wow, it was good. It's good. But it's hard, especially in the culture we live in today, standing up and saying you're a follower of Jesus. You're somebody who believes that this is the inerrant word of God, all of it. That's not an easy thing to do in our culture today. It won't be easy to stand for Christ at times. But I can guarantee you when it's all said and done, you'll look back and go, you know what? God's will for my life was good. And I think that's what Paul was saying there in 2 Timothy. He's looking back. He, he had a rough go. I wish I had time to tell you all about his life. But he looks back on his life and he says, you know what? It was all good. I fought the good fight. I finished the I kept the faith. It was good. Even though he went through H-E double hockey sticks as a believer. But let me share with you just quickly. I'm going to rat rattle through these real quick. because I, I, I want to share with you at least a few specific things that you find in Scripture about the will of God. Okay, this is important. Number one, it's God's will that you fill your life with him. Some of you always want to know, man, what's God's will? In fact, I would think it's one of the top five questions I'm asked. Hey, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life, Pastor Rick? Hey, what's God's will for my life? I get a text. Here it is. You came to the message. This is it. It's God's will that you fill your life with him. Verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine. Because that'll just ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Beloved, there's a, a huge difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've talked about this before. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit ensures your salvation. It makes your body, you know, God's temple, God's home. It assures that God is with you at all times. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, you'll obey what I commanded. Anybody who tells you, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and then they blow this thing off. No. Jesus said, if you love me, if you really love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter three, um, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Galatians chapter two, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now it's 
Important to understand that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time, forever act that happens at the moment a person receives Jesus Christ into their lives. Now, the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is way different. You see, you as a Christian can have the Holy Spirit within you. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but you can choose to allow other things to control your life. That's why Paul, that's what Paul's saying here in this text. He's writing to Christians and he's saying, hey, look it, don't get drunk with wine. Don't fill yourself with all this wine because once you get all that in you, it controls you. And if you've never been drunk, then it doesn't make any sense to you. But for those of us that have been drunk, we get it. The illustration's unbelievable. Before you know it, you get enough alcohol in you and you're no longer in control. Certainly God's spirit's not in control. The alcohol's now in control. So you as a believer can be indwelt with the spirit of God, but you're not filled with them. You haven't filled your life with them. Paul said this in, in verse 18. Once again, this whole idea of, you know, don't, don't be drunk with, with wine because that'll just ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit is important for lots of reasons. Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit is what, God, was what gives God control of your life. It, it's what you need to help guide your life. The filling of the Holy Spirit is where you get the power you need to do God's will. The filling of the Holy Spirit is how the fruit of the Spirit is produced in your life. And there's a, a greater list. So all believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me just tell you something. When you see a believer that's living in sin, just blatant sin, that person is not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But yeah, I'm just disobeying God. And I know I'm disobeying God and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. No, 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 the Bible says that you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Oh no, I'm filled with him. No, no, you're not. You're not living in the light. You're not living in a God-honoring way. Someone who chooses to live in sin, just blatant sin, can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But they're not filled. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. All those things are, are happening. And I think you all under, understand it, understand that. There's an old uh, saying that goes like this, whatever fills your life controls your life. And that's why all throughout the Bible, God encourages his people to fill their lives with him. Philippians chapter four says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right? And, and what is right and what is pure and what is lovely and admirable. Think about those things. Keep putting into practice all that you've received from me, everything you've, you've heard from me and saw me doing. And it's at that moment that the, the peace of God Colossians chapter three says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He goes on to say in chapter three, let the teachings of Christ live in you richly. That's why when you come to a gathering like this and all the music's about Jesus and we're giving and we're singing and we're hearing the word, wow, something happens to you, unbeliever. Huh, when you're filling your mind with all of these heavenly things, these spiritual things, these biblical things, it, it does something to you. The whole point of this hour and a half that we're gonna be in this room is that we get our, our eyes off of this down here and we get our minds on spiritual things, heavenly things, holy things. And let me quickly tell you why this is so important. If you're not filling your life with God and his word, okay, you're not letting the teachings of Christ live in you richly, you're never gonna know God's will for your life. I, I love what God said through the great prophet Isaiah. He said this, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good. 
I'm the one who teaches you what is, what is good. I'm the one who leads you along the paths that you should follow. If you, if you choose not to fill your life with God and his word, how's he going to lead you? How's he going to teach you? How's he going to guide you? Psalms 119 says this. Amy Grant made this passage famous uh, a number of decades ago. The Bible says, your word is the lamp to guide my feet. Your word. Your word. Now, not the things that seem right, but really aren't. Not your deceitful heart. The thing that guides our lives as believers is the word of God. This is it. You'll never know the, the will of God. Yeah, well, maybe that's too hard of a statement. Uh, apart from God's, God's word. Uh, so, so number one, it's God's will that you fill your, your life with him. N number two, it's God's will that you live a holy life. Okay. First Thessalonians says, God's will is for you to be holy. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's God's will for your life. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy, since you know Christ, in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I'm holy. Beloved, at the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you became something new. You became a new person. You, you now have God's spirit living within you. So it makes sense that God would want you to live differently, right? Now I get it. Sometimes, and it happens to me, we can slip back into that old way of living. Sometimes slipping back into some of those old ways of living can, can mess up your life forever, this side of glory. But when you gave your life to Christ, you became something new. God now lives inside of you. And so it just makes sense that God would say, quit living the way you used to live. I want you to live differently. I want you to live holy. Now holiness can be a scary word, but holiness simply means to, to be set apart. God says, you're new, you're holy, you're set apart for me. Which means, which means he wants you to follow him. He wants you to live for him. Titus chapter two says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, all women. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. One of the, the great benefits of having God's Holy Spirit within you is you can say no to those ungodly things. Those things that just drag your life down into the rat hole. Oh, they may give you two minutes of pleasure, but they certainly goof up God's will and God's plan for your life. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God within you. That's why it's God's will that you would say, you know what, I'm gonna live differently. Now we're not gonna do it perfectly. No one does. But you now have the power within you to go, you know what, man, I'm tired of living that way. I'm not, I don't wanna live that old way. That old way just brought me nothing but pain and heartache, man. Unbelievable how many times I was hanging my head over a toilet. Oh God, oh, I didn't even know God, but I was praying to him. Oh God, this is terrible. I'll never do it again, God. I'll never do it again, I promise God. Just get me out of here, oh God. 
no, all night long, you know, and you wake up the next day and you're just, oh, your head, oh, you, you got stuff all over your face, man. <laughs> By Monday, man, I can hardly wait till Friday. <laughs> and wasn't it a beautiful thing just hanging over a toilet, junk all over my face, just the second, yet I was so deceived. That's how good Satan is. He's so good. He, he puts you in a place like that. When it's all said and done, man, I had a good time. Here's the deal. Okay, some of you guys are gonna panic here if I don't get to all these. So I'm just gonna do these real quick, okay? <laughs> It's God's will that uh, you submit your life to others. That's God's will. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sakes to every authority instituted among men. And let me just say this. Basically, when you read through the scriptures, there are four authorities on planet Earth. That, and you know, God established all of them. One is the government. The government oversees all the citizens. You have the church. The church oversees all the believers. You have the family parents that oversee the children, and you have employers, and employers oversee all the employees. And how you respond to these God-ordained authorities reveals a lot about your, mat your, your maturity or your integrity. Wish I had time to talk about it, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> some of you are going, because I know it's God's will you get through all these. I, I know, I'm trying. Uh, number four, it's God's will that you suffer for your faith. It's God's will. There are basically three kinds of sufferings. There's common suffering, okay? Common suffering happens simply because you live in a fallen world. You're a human being because of what took place in Genesis chapter three. Our bodies wear out. Common suffering happens to all human beings, right? We get old, our bodies change, our hair color changes, our eyes go bad, our joints begin to ache, our memories go, we get cancer, whatever. That's just simply common suffering. Everybody suffers that. Then you have carnal suffering. Carnal suffering happens because of the choices you make. If you get drunk and then you have a hangover, that's carnal suffering. If you get drunk and get a ticket and have to spend the night in jail, that's carnal suffering. If you get drunk and slam into a tree and lose your leg, that's carnal suffering, right? The truth is we bring a lot of suffering on ourselves. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so a lot of times we suffer just because of the decisions that we've made. And then you have Christian suffering. Christian suffering happens when you suffer for doing good, when you suffer for being a believer, when you suffer for doing the right thing. And, and Jesus is the best example of this. He, he suffered greatly simply because he followed the will of his Father. That's all he did. He only said what the Father told him to say, and he only did what the Father told him to do, and he suffered greatly for that. And in the culture that we're living in right now, let me just tell you something. It, as, a, as a preacher, it was always hard to preach about Christian suffering for my 30 years, because we just never suffered. Oh, somebody called us a Jesus freak. Hey, you're a Jesus freak. And for some people, that was enough. <laughs> I'm suffering. And, you know, and they left the church and, you know, gave up Jesus because someone called him a Jesus freak, you know. Hey, you're one of those right-wing fanaticals, aren't you? Well, I don't want to be a right-wing. And they, they're gone. Today, the suffering's way different. It's been amped up. And now believers, those that really stand for the truth, all the truth, all of it, wow, there's great suffering going on here in America. And it's just going to get worse. And it's God's will sometimes that you would suffer for simply being his follower. Number five, it's God's will that you rejoice, pray, and be thankful 
1 Thessalonians says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, in all circumstances, all of them. For this is God's will for you. Well, man, that's kind of crazy, Pastor. You you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't. All I know is the Bible says, all of the circumstances, you be thankful. Oh, how can that be? Well, maybe because you were a sinner headed for hell and Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for your sins. He rose from the grave on the third day. He now lives inside of you. He's redeemed your life from the pit of hell. How about that one? Well, well, yeah, I guess. If I have to rejoice, I, I guess I will. Paul put it this way, he said, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul said in our text, and give thanks for everything to God. And last but not least, it's God's will that you repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. For some of you, you've never done that. The Bible says this is good and this is what pleases God our Savior who wants everybody to be saved and to understand the truth. That's the heart of God. For, I don't know, a lot of years, a lot of decades, I rejected that truth. I didn't want any part of God. In fact, I was so blinded, I didn't even believe in God. But I'm I'm here to tell you it is God's will that you give your life to Jesus Christ, that you repent of your sin, turn from it, let, let God come into your life. Let Jesus Christ come into your life and cleanse you of your sin. Begin a new life right now. That's God's will for some of you right now. The interesting thing is, is that God has also given you a free will. And he doesn't force himself on anybody. If you don't want him, He says, okay, then here's the deal. We'll just make it a permanent gig. If you don't want me in your life, then that's your call. And here's the deal. I'll just make sure when you take your last breath, it'll just be permanent forever. And so he basically will give you what you want. If you don't want him, then he just says, well, then okay, that's fine. I only want people... I only want to be a part of people's lives who want me in their life. And if you don't want me in your life, that's fine. But he's tried to tell you how much he loved you. He brought you to this church tonight. He, the cross, the Christmas. It's all about a baby. Not about presents. It's about a baby that came. Easter? How about that one? You can't go anywhere on planet Earth, anywhere, and not have people celebrating Christmas and celebrating Easter. Billions of people will do it. You know why? Maybe part of it is just so that the world would know, hey, I love you and I care about you. I care about you. It's God's will that you would repent of your sin. Give your life to him. Enter into our relationship with him. And in just a moment, you can go into our altar room and some of our pastors and people will, will, will be in there and, and you, you, could, you could go in there. Say, I need, I need Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about, you know, um, you know, what about, you know, what college should I go to? You know, uh, uh, what, what, what kind of car should I buy? What about that? You know, should I homeschool or not? Hey, that's all good and well, Pastor. I'm glad you showed me all those things in the Bible about what God's will is. But, man, I need to know what kind of tennis shoes to buy. Man, what's God's will? My answer to you would be this. If you've repented of your sins and you've surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, if you're allowing God to fill your life with his word, if you're obeying God and living a holy life, if you're in submission to the authorities that God has ordained, if you're willing to suffer for the truth, If you're a person with a thankful heart and a grateful heart, I want you to know, God will make his will known to you. 
And if he doesn't, maybe God's just saying, pick something. Choose. I'll bless whatever you do. I don't care what house you buy. Buy it. As long as you've done your due diligence and you can make afford the payment, that's a nice house and that one's nice. Pick one. I'll blow your mind, God. God's saying. You're not going to be able to open this up and go, well, you know, I've got to buy the house over on uh, North 5th Street. You know. <laughs> Luke chapter 4. It's not there. It's not there. All I know is that if you've repented of your sin and you know Christ as your Savior and you're filling your life with his word and you're being obedient to what God has to say and you've put yourself in author under the authority of those things that God has ordained and you're a thankful person, a grateful person, a praying person, you'll know. You'll know. Why don't you all stand up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end right there, okay? Um, let me pray for you. Father, thanks, Lord, for tonight. I have really, really enjoyed um, getting here today and hanging out with some people and praying with a bunch of people I love deeply in the room, the altar room beforehand. I, I, I've really enjoyed the music, God. Thank you for just great music, great band, great singers. Thank you for all the children's workers that are watching all our kids. And man, thank you for all those that are out walking the parking lot making sure our cars aren't broken into because there's just evil people in the world. Thank you for those that have cooked up some, some food and some coffee that's out there that we could fellowship afterwards, Lord. I've, I've really enjoyed your word, Father. Thank you for the word of God. May the people of Big Valley Grace be people who love Jesus. They, they know the voice of Jesus. God, thanks for your goodness to us. Bless our, our evenings, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Hey, go grab your kids right now. Go now. Get your kids. <laughs>